0: Hi there, you're listening to The Credentialed Podcast. My name is Kate Kay, and I'm your host here. So what am I hosting exactly? Well, like all new initiatives, this podcast will evolve as we go, but here's the main gist. The Credentialed Podcast will focus on giving voice to executives we don't often hear from, primarily those in tech and innovation, the ones who aren't always in the spotlight The people who don't necessarily fit the stereotype when we think technology executive. Pretty cool, right? As someone who covered digital marketing technology and media as a reporter for 18 years and talked to an assembly line of white dudes every day doing it, I think it's pretty cool. And that leads me to today's guest, who has what I'd describe as a rich tapestry of a background, especially for such a young person. Rachel Law is the CEO of a chatbot firm called Kip. She's originally from Singapore, has an undergrad degree in philosophy and photography from the University of Melbourne in Australia, and got her masters at Parsons in New York City in design and technology. She crash-learned programming She's been seen sporting a tiara at tech conferences, and, well, she is not your everyday tech CEO. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to The Credentialed. Hi, Kip. So, Rachel, Kip is a chatbot, and you've referred to Kip, spelled K-I-P, as social shopping. Describe Kip. So, Kip is a uh, uh, artificial
1: intelligence Penguin, actually, it, it looks like a penguin, and what it does is it helps people use their social networks and social media to kind of form collective groups, so that when you buy items in bulk, it becomes cheaper, and you can spread the cost across your friends. And it totally makes sense, right? Because like when, let's say, you know, you have a Netflix plan, and then um, and it's and it's seven ninety nine a month, but you know, you want if you have several friends, you could share that plan across to several people and then you pay like a dollar a month instead. Or like if you want to buy something from overseas, you can share the shipping
0: cost across several of your friends. Mm-hmm. Are you like a penguin fan? Is it, is it something you're into? I,
1: we did this whole study on like why we chose a penguin. The um, first thing that we found out is that people react better when they are dealing with a face. And not a logo, so we decided instead of having like a logo that was like an abstract fishy thing, we would have a face that people could recognize.
0: Yeah. And
1: then we went through different kind of iterations of it. So we had a cat, a dog, a rabbit, and then um, we didn't want anything too polarizing, so no cats and no dog. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then we we hit upon a penguin. Because a penguin is a gender neutral animal. They're one of the few animals that from a distance you can't actually tell what gender the species is. Um, they look exactly alike. Both male and female penguins look exactly alike. Mm. And um they also share responsibilities together. They're central animals that, you know, re- rely on collective kind of the group, uh, in order to survive. Like they can't survive without the help of a colony. Um and then the last thing was that we found that was really interesting was that most people had kind of good feelings towards penguins. They didn't have, like, super strong feelings, but they didn't have, like, no feelings either. So there was a, and and we needed an a animal that was blue, because, like, when we went through 16 different, like, AI websites, uh, all of them were, like, in dark blue, and we're like, okay, it would be best if we found. Uh, character
0: that was blue yeah it wasn't just randomly let's do a penguin you, you really thought about it no so who's using this who's using kip today
1: so um the main people that we target is kind of like niche communities so like uh let's say you know like you're in a crochet community and you want to buy like um specific crochet needles that are only available in scotland Scotland makes most of the world's like, crochet yarn and needles. Hmm. Um, instead of, you know, you could purchase on behalf of your community or together with your community, and it's much easier if you do it using Kip because we have the tools needed to, you know, like, who's buying what, at what price, and how much do they owe you, and this kind of coordination. And then the second group that we're looking at is, like, people who live in multi-generational, multicultural kind of uh, families.
0: Yeah, interesting. So
1: most of America is made of immigrants and there's still a steady flow of immigrants. But like what happens when these people, you know, who went to like high school, college in the US grow up and have their own families? There isn't really like a support in terms of like, you know, you have neighbors who maybe share the same interests, but you know, like how do you get the things from your own childhood that you want to pass on to your own children?
0: And so, where does Kip come in with that? Then uh, we help these families purchase things from their
1: home country. So, like for instance, um, there's the Japanese community in New York City, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the things that they like is toys from this company called Tokyo Hands. It's not available in U.S. because they don't have a store presence here, um, and we help them purchase like the toys and the children's books and um, the videotapes, Actually, that from from their childhood so that they can pass it on to their own children too.
0: I think it's really fascinating that you're developing the technology for these types of uh, groups and communities that we usually don't think about technology being developed for. We we often hear like, oh, there's a new platform that millennials are going to love. Or we hear like technology being developed for like people with really high household incomes and and like, you don't really hear about tech being developed for immigrant communities, for example. So that's, I think that's really interesting. I wanna indulge me here. I wanna flash back a few years ago to when I first met you. Uh, It was 2013. I was a reporter covering the data industry for Advertising Age. And uh, you really caught my eye with a technology that you had been developing that I thought was really interesting. I wrote a story about it. Um, It was graduate work that you were doing while you were at Parsons in Manhattan in their design and tech program. You'd built a browser extension um, and I wrote that it quote could wreak havoc on the online ad industry if released into the wild it was called Vortex and it helped people turn their user profiles and their browsing info into alternate fake identities. So it basically provided misinformation, it scrambled data and it tricked ad targeters. I thought it was really cool. Um, And I remember at the time when you told me about Vortex, you said to me that you, you built it after you'd crash learned programming. Um, which, you know, I mean, I think that's a testament to your adaptability, probably. But at, on that thought, you told me uh, recently, actually, that the Vortex technology was kind of a foundation for Kip. Do you want to tell me about that connection between the two? So um, the
1: idea behind Vortex, um, while it was for scrambling identities, um, made us realize, like, the kind of, like, um, scale of networks behind it. So Vortex is kind of a proof of concept for the work that I was doing with uh, Professor Mackenzie Wark, and um, I was particularly interested in networks. I wanted to see how people kind of felt about how the network perceived them, like, how the network profiled them. And I was interested to see, like, what if you could get a community or a group of people that self-identified on a particular network? And that was really how we we, we thought of Kip, which was that, you know, it was a self-identified community on a network that used their social connections, you know, like, that leveraged their own kind of, like, strength of community. Like, I have 9,000 friends on uh, Facebook. I have uh, a million followers on Instagram. Or I have a 1,000... F- followers on twitter how do you use this social capital in a way that translates it into an actual kind of value and if you think about it kip does exactly that the more loose social connections that you have the higher the chance of you getting a price discount or shared cost
0: hmm interesting so can you give me maybe one quick example yes
1: yeah. so like uh, Let's go back to the the, the 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 multicultural community in New York, uh, the huge Japanese community. Um, they want to buy like toys and um, DVDs and like children's books for their um, uh, new kids uh, who are now um, who are now American Japanese children. Um, and to ex- and if you're shipping like one toy from Japan, it's pretty expensive. It's $25 by express mail. Um, and what happens is that if you have the social network or the community, you can reach out to people and say, hey, do you want to buy things for your kids too? Do you want to buy this thing which I'm going to buy for my kids? Or do you want to buy things from the same store? You know, and maybe I don't have kids, but uh, I like this store because they carry the particular brand of craft supplies that I like. So I can reach out to them and say, yeah, yeah, I'll love to because I want to do this too. And now the cost of shipping, which is 25, becomes divided across me and the other person that's participating in it. And then what you have is like a kind of like a like a loop where like, you know, like there's, there's uh, multiple people participating in it. Mm-hmm. And the best thing about it is that it saves like what we call the last mile problem. So... Uh, Amazon Prime and like Blue apron and all these delivery services have a huge impact on our environment because like, you know you need to hire people to drive the trucks, you have the gas that r- drives the trucks, all the packaging material and all the boxes. and it's a huge kind of like environmental footprint. But because this is a group order,' a collective purchase by a group, it's also delivered to like a single person at a point. That other
0: people can pick up from less of an environmental impact too, and I'm sure a lot of people uh, absolutely have that concern or should have that concern when they're ordering from Amazon (laughs) every day, right? So, all right, so let's get back. Let's get back to your personal background. Um, Do you think that your anything in your upbringing, in particular, influenced how you got where you are today? Um, are there things maybe about your friends or family, um, or I mean, do, do you think that your friends and family always thought like, oh yeah, she's gonna be a she's gonna be a tech CEO someday? No.
1: <laughs> when I was a kid, my dad told me that girls can't be engineers.
0: <laughs> he told you that.
1: <laughs> so this is um, this is
0: uh, dad. In in was this when you were in Singapore?
1: Yeah, um, it's a very conservative society. Like um with very kind of strict um gender hierarchy. Um and I think my interest was in it was primarily in groups so I I didn't I didn't really fit into like the cultural norms of Singapore. So I I kind of found my friends online. Yeah. Um like my perspective on things was that you know, I was I couldn't get along with people in Singapore. Like, I didn't fit into, like, how they expected, what a girl should be, what, how she should dress, how she should behave, what she should do. I, I, I totally didn't want to be that kind of girl. So I found most of my friends online. Online, I could be anybody. I could, you know, I could make friends however I like. I could say, you know, I was a guy. And, like, you know, people would believe me. I could say I was a cat. And people mm-hmm. would also believe me. Like, you can't tell who people are because it's just a declaration, you know, when when you're online. Mm-hmm. And I made most of my friends through different communities. And that's when I realized like the kind of like power of a community, like how people were behaving socially. And that's that's where my real interest is, which is like um, how people present themselves digitally.
0: Yeah. Wow. You've come so far with that awesome attitude. I love it. Okay. We'll return to our chat with Rachel Law, CEO of Kip, in just a moment. I'd like to take a quick break to remind you that you're listening to The Credentialed, a podcast giving voice to people in tech and innovation who don't fit the mold when we think technology executive. My name is Kate Kaye, and I'm your host. Do you know someone who should be featured on The Credentialed? Are you someone who should be on? Let me know. Tweet to me at at lowbrowkate, that's lowbrowkate, or email me at thecredentialed at salientmg.com. That's at lowbrowkate, or thecredentialed at salientmg.com. And now back to our chat with Rachel Law of Kip on The Credentialed. Right now, you are in the middle of talking to a lot of very powerful people uh, who might be investing in Kip. You guys are in the middle of your Series A funding right now, um, or attempting to generate that. How's it going? Uh, what are you? What are you? What works, and what? Where, what are the challenges there?
1: So, um, I think it's going well. Um, we're very grateful, and we appreciate like the opportunities that like people give us. Like they're interested in KIP and they want to learn more. So that has been very exciting. Uh, what we found is that contrary to popular belief, uh, your slide deck doesn't have to be like twenty slides. You can definitely include as much information as you have. You know, like because you never know what people want. To hear. It's mm. better to go a little bit crazy and over prepare and be extremely thorough
0: hmm. and then
1: kind of base your presentation around like what that particular person's interest is. Uh instead of like having like a one size fits all kind of approach to like fundraising.
0: You know? Oh, that sounds like a great like tip. Cooking. Any any other yeah, any most, other takeaway?
1: So I I've met other like kind of founders and senior founders and like what I'm a little bit surprised that sometimes is that they don't have the request at the end of their presentation. But like, you know, they'll, they'll give me this entire narrative and like story about their company and then, but like, then I'll ask them like, why do you not have a slide that like tells me exactly how much money you're going to raise and mm-hmm. what you're going to use it for? And they're like, oh, I, I just didn't think about that. And I think it, it's a kind of like a social ingrained where like where like being implicit you know like um, instead of being explicitly aggressive and I think it's okay to be a little bit more assertive you don't have to be aggressive about it like no one's asking you to be like super super macho but like you know being able to clearly state like yes I am this company and yes I want to raise this amount of money and I'm going to use it for this should be something that um, you should be able to say during your meeting.
0: Yeah. Well, you shouldn't
1: have to beat around the bush for it.
0: We're, we're out of time, but all I can say to that is you're on the West Coast, baby. People aren't direct. <laughs> you know that, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you so much for joining us on the credential today, Rachel. And if, you're, you. if, if anybody out there is interested in learning more about Kip, check it out at kipthis.com. Thank you so much for joining us on The Credentialed podcast, and special thanks to Rachel Law, CEO of Kip, for being our guest. Would you like to be considered as a guest on The Credentialed, or would you like to suggest a guest? Please contact me, Kate K., at thecredentialed at salientmg.com, and thanks for listening.